Welcome to the Indie Comics section. Join us as we take you through the pages of some of the best stories and art available in comics. We'll talk to creators, hear about their inspiration and creative process, and then we'll read their comic and discuss it together. We hope you'll join us on this journey into some incredible comics and find some new favorites along the way. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to Indie Comics. I am your fearless host, Maddie, and I have got... Andrea, this is me. Hello. <laughs> and the incredible Ryan Little. We are so excited to talk to you today. Ryan, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? I will start by saying that his Kickstarter profile calls him a comic and screenwriter from the absolute middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania. I think my cousin lives there also. His patroness is Freddie Mercury, and his favorite donut is all of them, which I can relate to. Ooh. Uh, Ryan, how'd you get into comics? Um, so regular nerd guy. I'm from Middle Nowhere, Pennsylvania. Had a strip mall next to my high school that had a comic shop, so I was very lucky to be a Wednesday warrior and get to pick up, you know, the weekly books and everything. Um, and then I started doing indie comics around 2013 was when sort of like the open call anthology thing was like really blowing up. Um, so I did two volumes of um, Death Saves, the Fallen Heroes of the Kitchen Table, which is like a D&D anthology, real stories about our characters getting killed off. Um, I did a couple awesome. other like little like indie fundraiser ones. Yeah, I met like so many awesome friends doing that. Um, I lived in New York when I did that, and I moved to LA. Met my editor from it. Now he's been like a lifelong friend. So I was like, wait a minute, comics are the best thing in the world. Um, so I did anthologies for like a couple of years, and then starting around 2015, I believe, uh, I launched my first indie series on Kickstarter, which was Lonesomes, and I've been doing uh, Kickstarters ever since. I think I've, I'm at like 12 Kickstarter projects across five different books, and I have nine books in production now. Wow, that's crazy. That's I amazing. Comic books. It's like my favorite thing in the world. I would rather make one of my comics than buy like 5,000 of somebody else's is what I decided. So I just crank out comics now. Oh, that's awesome. Like, what do you love about being able to like do Kickstarter programs? Like, do you feel that like sense of community, like all these people rallying towards like, you know, like your goal? Like, what do you love about being able to do Kickstarter? So the comic making process versus the Kickstarter process are two very different things. The Kickstarter process itself is really awesome. One, because there's just such an awesome community of people that are just like really reading and enjoying content in this way. That sort of, it takes all the mysticism off, off of it in this way that if you have a book you want to make and you think it's awesome, there's people out there who probably like it too. Like mm. I like to refer myself as a reform cynic. Like you can't be a grumpy <laughs> person and run Kickstarters. Uh, Lonesome is like a super emo riff on Pokemon, but kids that find little monsters that are made of their loneliness. Like, oh, the most esoteric, oh. specific thing in the world. You know, like, the tags, what does your loneliness look like? Like, is it a little shark mm. or is it a giant dinosaur? But, like, the most esoteric, heavily thematic, you know, emotion-driven story ever. And it's shipped to, I think, 21 different countries. Like, wow. it shows wow. you how small the world is, you know? Yeah, totally. Like, it's just so cool that there's, especially, you know, as comics and nerdy stuff kind of stray into the mainstream and, and pop culture and whatnot. Um, what I really love about Kickstarter, well, comics and Kickstarter comics in specific is that, this there is no ceiling there is no box mm -hmm. it's if you have an idea and you love it and you believe in it and you're willing to make it there's probably some people that are willing to read it too you know you, and you don't need the overwhelming humongous success to like pay your rent or anything like that i make my books and people read them and we get to do five or six issues and package them all together and, and it's immensely fulfilling and rewarding and exciting every time that's true it's very much like a great equalizer where kind of like the internet in a lot of ways right is it's it's not just who can get 
a huge publisher and a distributor and, and be in comic shops and all of these things. It's really about who can have a great idea and share it with people. And you get people that are behind you and look at you. You're on Axeman number two now. What what inspired Axeman in particular? Um, so the Axeman uh, really came from two places. Number one is that I am a diehard, just complete nerd across the board. Uh, mm-hmm. But my parents are both from a medical background. My father's a cardiologist who initially worked in genetics. Oh, wow. My mom was an infectious disease nurse before she moved into pediatric ER work. Oh, wow. So I grew up at my dinner table talking about mutations in the body and how incredible the human body is and all the different ways that things within it can go right and wrong. Um, so I've always kind of been like, you know, my dad would always send me weird articles as I got older articles about like different genetics and mutations and, and illnesses and stuff like that. So I always had, I think, a real respect for the human body and a real awareness of all kind of the crazy stuff that can go wrong inside of it. Um, and I think the accident specifically is born when you marry that basic interest with just the nerdy POV of body horror and, you know, contagion and um, patient zeros and stuff like that. Um, and then the other part of it, very selfishly, when I realized Idris Elba was probably never going to be James Bond, I wrote <laughs> what I would have wanted to be my Idris Elba James Bond story. Thank you. On behalf crazy. of the world. I know. I, 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 <laughs> Can I that just say, awesome. like, it's crazy because I was like looking at um, Axeman and I was like reading about like the summary and I just thought to myself, how prevalent is this comic like right now like with everything happening and like pandemics and like you know like having like the cdc in your comics it's crazy because i was like looking at it and i was like we're practically living in it like you know what i mean and i thought it was so cool did you ever think that like you wanted to like since you said about like your parents being in the medical field did you ever feel an inkling towards that or like was it always just like the arts for you um no i mean (laughs) You mean like an inkling to go into the medical path? Yeah. Oh, absolutely not. I always said my dad works way too much. And then now I probably work more than he does. But um, no, I, 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 I picked <laughs> comics, but comics caught me early and they never let go. I tell most people that my hobbies and interests haven't really changed since I was about four years old. Mm-hmm. I, I, I was born. I learned to talk. I found out what Spider-Man was and that was it. Here we are. Oh, that's you know, so cute. Is Spider-Man your later. favorite? Uh, I always say that when you're talking favorite superheroes, Spider-Man and Batman don't count because they're their own. And they're, they're something that's else fair. entirely. Oh, um, I really love Cyclops, which is a real hot take. I love Cyclops. Get out of here. I'm a Wolverine fan. We're no longer friends. Dude, my husband, <laughs> he, he like, he's over there washing dishes right now. What a hero. Um, He always says that, like, Cyclops is, like, the worst hero. So you yeah, like, you, I'm he like, is the worst hero. It's fine. <laughs> because you guys don't understand, as the person that's always had to be the responsible friend and is, like, no, I understand Cyclops on such a real level. I've heard, oh, he's always like a fuddy-duddy and ruining everything. And he can't fix things. He's so grumpy. It's like, yeah, because that's what's like being a responsible friend, guys. It's tough. Someone's got to say the music's too loud or the cops are going to get called. That's funny. <laughs> you're the dad of the group. Is that that's what you're 100%. Saying? Since I was 12. You can't see me shaking my head. I'm like the most hardcore Wolverine fan ever. So naturally, we are enemies. But that's okay. <laughs> we compliment each other. <laughs> yeah, that's true. We need each other. Um, what kinds of do you have those qualities in any of your characters in the Axeman? Um, I definitely have. You know, I blame my dad for this, but the Axeman. <laughs> there's a mode they have to flip in where I think you really have to. You know, it, it's funny. Like you were saying, so many of these meditations are things we're saying out loud, and I'm gonna I'm gonna try very very hard not to make this political in any means. Um, but you do have to have these conversations at this point. Is what is what is acceptable loss? Um, mm-hmm. when you try to, when you try to mitigate these things, collateral damage in, in germ warfare is a completely different animal and it's yeah. scary. Um, 
and, and trying to mitigate the spread and what, what the threat looks like and what the fight looks like is so different um, than any other sort of conflict that we normally engage with. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I think the thing I understand about Jason is being able to totally flip into that mode of risk versus reward. What is the benefit? What is the cost of any decisions I'm making? Because that's, that's the world he has to live in constantly, which is something I can, I can respect. Back to Andrea's point. I mean, how does it feel to kind of be living in the worst case scenario that Jason's trying to avoid? I mean, we are in the time of coronavirus right now and it's a huge global pandemic and this is the kind of thing that his character is here to stop right by making those tough decisions at the beginning what is it like for you to be i mean this is the second volume of this you've been doing it for a while and all of a sudden it's real in the world how is that for you um it's super surreal i'll I'll be honest because it's the kind of thing you know i was talking to some friends about it that because we already have so i pre-write and pre-make all the comics before i launch a kickstarter so we're actually Right now, we're finishing the pages for um, issue four, which is the end of the volume. So, like, we've already sort of played out the worst case scenario in the comic. Mm. Um, spoiler alert. And then now it's happening in the real world, um, yeah. which is a mortifying and strange thing to watch. Um, I think it it's interesting, especially because you look at, you know, sort of the, the boiler or the nuts and bolts of accidents. Look, there are, there's more people on the planet than there ever has been before. Um, and then because of advances in technology and travel and just people generally wanting to jet set and explore and the travel channel, we all mingle in ways we haven't ever before. Um, mm. In some ways, I look at it and I'm like, man, all that crazy stuff dad said at dinner was kind of right. That like it's all this stuff is constantly mutating and changing and it's stuff that we can't quite predict. Um, you know, my family, I remember very clearly that my dad, who's like this very cold, hyper, hyper intelligent doctor. Um, I said to him, once, I said, dad, why did you become a cardiologist? And he said to me, your heart beats every second of your life until you die. And I never stopped being impressed by that. I thought it was so amazing that I wanted to keep people's hearts beating forever. So he became a cardiologist, right? And I remember that that respect and that, it, I, I would almost call it reverence for, for health is what my father has, because it, it's, it's such a gift to be healthy. Um, and that's how I feel now. Like I live, you know, in a house with my girlfriend and we have two very healthy cats. Um, but like that, it, it, it's the, the sobering thing for me is you, you take you you suddenly become aware of your mortality in this way, right? A trip to the grocery store is dangerous right now, but depending on what parts of the country you're in. You know, I have loved ones who are in New York City that they legitimately have to really think about what is worth going outside for, what is worth ordering food for, um, in some really really powerful and difficult ways. Um, so I think the biggest thing, or my hope would be, um, that people can really have that that moment of that sort of gratuity check of, of what health and what being stable environment can really mean to us. Uh, my dad is very cool. He was once a captain of a destroyer in the U.S. Navy, but I think your dad wins the coolest dad award. That was pretty oh much boy. the biggest story I've ever heard. <laughs> well, you've never had a three-hour car ride with him, but yeah, that, that dinner was actually a pretty good one. That's, That's really awesome. cool. Like, I really love how, like, Jason, like, he's very synonymous, I feel like, to the people that are at the front lines of this, you know, like, fighting for all of our safety, you know, like you see, like Maddie's fiance, you know, soon to be lovely husband is, you know, an EMT, you know, and like, like oh, these people, him. that's some hard work. Maddie, yeah. Please tell, He's please doing it right now. That's amazing. Wow. I know. But like, that's the thing. It's like, you know, like this comic is just like, he's such, he's the epitome of like what it means to like put yourself out there for like, I guess the greater good, like, you know, and, 
And I really like appreciate that. And I really appreciate how like you have someone like it's, I feel like that's not something that you see in a lot of comics. You always see like the aliens coming out of the sky. You always see like those kind of things, you know, but to have something so real as like illnesses. And like you said, like how genetic mutations affect the body and to have someone like combating those things. And even like in the summary, it's like, it takes a toll on him, you know, and to see how you see doctors in Italy and things like that, and it is taking a toll on them. And that's like, I think that's really pretty, like, it's very beautiful to see that connection, you know, sorry. Yeah, it's totally, that was just it's my totally a transaction. It, it, it's, it's their mm-hmm. well-being and their, their emotional fortitude in exchange for, to prolong your life. I mean, I was someone, I grew up watching my dad leave the house every Christmas because I, I always, I was never sad about it because I always knew my dad, I don't have Christmas with my dad. So some kid gets to have his granddad for Christmas. Yeah. Like that was a very, it's a, it's a real honest, um, it's, a, it's a cold strength, but it's a strength regardless. Um, and it's a, it's a, it's its very own specific kind of struggle. So it was really fun to, you know, it, what, and again, another great thing about comics is that they make so many things palatable. You know what I mean? That like, mm-hmm. I mean, we're talking about this broody, emotional, like the weight of sacrifice, but like, Soon as you make it about armor and motorcycles and guns and stuff like that, it's like so much easier to talk about and engage with, you know, than like my dad leaving me and my family on the porch on Christmas morning. Um, so I think the gift too has been to really get to engage with that stuff. And what I'm really proud of in um, issues three and four is sort of the thematic element that takes over is what is it that we let sort of live within us and what percolates within us, not just physically, but emotionally. What are the things that make us sick um, that really weigh on us? So the, the later, once we really see, Jason's daily life in the last two issues, we're going to really have to watch him face the emotional repercussions of, of the weight that he carries for everyone, which I think is, is a pretty powerful issue. Well, and that's what I love about this too, is it has some like major Judge Dredd vibes for me and I love Judge Dredd. So <laughs> I am here for it. Um, but it's it's got this darker element too, right? Like your dad and my fiance and, you know, all these people that are out there saving people are doing something that's very... Um, directly noble and what jason's doing is noble in its own way but he's also like there to kill people right (laughs) like he's there to (laughs) to take care of business and sometimes that means sacrificing the one for the many i'm a big star trek fan too and we've got you know that whole concept of what is acceptable loss um and and i think that's so powerful as well and how did you deal with that in making these choices for jason and and setting him up in these situations um, I think it's really sort of trying to draw those parameters of like looking at, um, you know, him really understanding what's the mission and what's the cost. And then the fun of, the, of a fictional element is being able to walk down both roads, you know, that you can say to yourself. So this is sort of this is the battle we're winning today. Um, and this is what it, this is what it bought us. Right. This is what it's, it's all a transaction. It's, this is Jason's sacrifice and it earns humanity X. Um, and then as we move through the issues, what it buys Jason is going to keep changing. Um, and then we'll kind of figure out at what point does that transaction kind of, at what point is the juice not worth the squeeze anymore? At what point is, is the price too high? Um, and then once we really kind of get to interact with that, it kind of becomes more, more defined. And the later, um, issues three and four are sort of designed as a single arc that's called plague protocol. So that's when the worst case scenario. So the Axeman comes in for our daily life worst case scenario. In issues three and four, we'll see what's the worst case scenario for an Axeman. What, mm. what happens when things really change, kind of hit the fan for him. Um, so then we'll really, put him in those harder situations and make those decisions um, as, as for what decisions he makes. Um, I mean, at some point I like to hope I'm not a sociopath. So you have to make those hard <laughs> choices of like, you know, at what point would someone, would, would someone like him, even someone with his training, um, at what point would he flinch? At what point mm-hmm. would, would, would something kind of make his blood run cold? Um, but that was sort of the fun of the challenge too, you know, cause it's easy, especially, you know, it's funny though. It's well, it's so different having this conversation now than it was three months ago. 
yeah. in such a funny way because it, it, it's so it, you know it used to be so easy saying um you know when when is it worth it when isn't it worth it but now that we're in the muckety muck of sort of the uh the, this coronavirus you can really see that it's 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 so you know for jason the cost um his cost is so evident in his own pain and his own grief and his you know all his, his guilt and the burden but the price if he doesn't do it it's such a fluid ambiguous sort of dangerous thing that works right like with something like coronavirus if he had, if he'd had to choose do i you know firebomb a wuhan meat market kill a bunch of poor people in the middle of china you know or do i try to try to give this to try to find a counter virus would he have known it would spread to civilized nation on the planet it's a it's a it's a wild thing you know existential threats i think are something that our generation has uniquely had to really grow up with um yeah. and i think it's an interesting thing to really peg people against where do you oh go ahead sorry no go ahead (laughs) i was just going to comment that i think you know on top of that you have this idea of there's one person who's in front of you who's somebody's relative who's somebody's you know father or mother or sister or whatever and you have to sacrifice them in order to save these countless people that are not in front of you and that are this kind of ether um and it's a concept and i think it's something that's really important for people to think about and yeah of course we all want to Kobayashi Maru it and say, oh, well, I can save everybody. But in reality, that's not always possible. And so how do you make those hard choices and who is strong enough to? And I think comics like this are so important because not only are they fascinating and interesting to read and shocking and, and all of those things, but also it makes you think, what would you do if you were in that situation? Could you do it? And I think that's something that um, things that stories that really make you think are my favorite kind and this is especially today so poignant and so powerful well thank you that's that's always fun to hear what like what i wanted to ask is you know because i come from a psych background i have my you know my ba in psych and like when you're my brother is too oh no way that's cool i mean i don't use my psych one doctor little in the family still oh Yeah, I don't use it, though. I mean, kind of. But anyways, um, so like, for me, my biggest thing is like, you're talking about, you know, at what point does, you know, the end justify the means? And, you know, when you're making these choices for Jason as a writer, where do you get your inspiration from in regards to these like, ethical, moral, like choices, you know, like, for me, like, you know, like you said, um, you know, do you like kill the 400? Like, people if that means that billions of lives get saved like that's takes a psychological toll on someone it's very like existential like where do you get your inspiration for these like choices or like do you dive into like you know like articles in regards to psychology and things like that you know to really hone in on Jason or do you take a lot of stuff like from your everyday life like your choices your family's choices things like that I like to always really just take it through emotionality. Like when in doubt, just really kind of go back to who is he and, and really live it, the experience through his sort of POV. Um, especially in the later issues, we'll find out what does it take to make a person into someone like Jason that can make the decisions that he makes. So we'll find mm-hmm. out kind of where it comes from um, because I think we all have our natural biases, right? So the fun thing about this book is that the monster of the week is always an illness. Um, and sort of trying to figure out what that pathogen was going to be and what the plague looked like or what the potential outbreak looked like was always constructed in a way of how is it going to challenge him? Sort of what is what is the risk over reward of if this thing gets out, how fast is it spread? How scary is what it does? You know, issue two is that it's a virus that lives off optic tissue. So it's mm-hmm. like, okay, it's going to blind, it's going to blind people. 
Um, so how many people am I willing to blind? How fast does it happen? How much time can I buy myself? Um, is how he's going to sort of have to make those justifications um, within himself to make those decisions. Um, but I think with a person like Jason to really challenge him and, and crack through, you know, whenever you have this crack shot covert ops agent, you know, obviously the guy's got blood made of ice. Um, but the fun of it is trying to define the line for him through the first two issues of, okay, this is what he thinks is acceptable, which, you know, most average people hopefully wouldn't think is necessarily acceptable, but he, that's the sacrifice he makes for the many. Um, and then as we really define that line for him, um, we really get to find out who he is then. What does he stand for? What does he think is valuable? And what does he think is a bridge too far? Um, and that's to really cement his boundaries so that in issues three and four, we can break through them and then show, you know, what is too much to bear even for him. That's awesome. And something else that is really cool about these uh, issues is the art. Um, can you talk a little bit about your relationship with the artist and how that came to be and, and how you guys came to this particular style? I would love to because I am so, so proud of this book on a couple different levels. Um, so I I had, I think I'd done three different series. I did uh, Lonesome, then Monster of the Week, and then Prometheus, um, which are all very different in tone. Um, Lonesome is sort of like a Studio Ghibli whimsical, mystical thing. Monster of the Week is like really goofy slapstick adventure time. And Prometheus is like John Wick, sort of dark, grounded, gritty, pulpy. Um, but uh, Brian, Brian Andon, who is our interior artist, he did a piece of Prometheus fan art after issue one came out, tagged me in it on Twitter. And as soon as I saw it, I said, this guy is so cool. I immediately messaged him and I said, would you ever want to do a full series with me? And he immediately said yes. Um, and they just like the team just happened super as organically as it can happen in comics, quite truthfully. That's awesome. And it also shows the power of the internet. Again, just this concept of somebody that drew some cool fan art, figured they'd send it your way and you loved it so much that now you're working with them. I mean, it's incredible the way that the internet can bring us together and bring creators together um, in that way is just amazing. You're not relying on a, um, an editor or a, a promoter to bring the teams together. You can find each other. Like you said, you know, we, we started this book, I want to say in either, I want to say 2016, we started this, we started at least the conversations and the early character design of it all. So, you know, back then, no one even, you know, forget, no one even knew Wuhan, China was a place, let alone, you know, where this, where this illness was, was going to stem from. Um, so, you know, back then, did people necessarily think this was an exciting or a compelling idea? Who knows? But he believed in it and I believed in it. And, you know, that little bit of goodwill between two strangers on two different continents um, and, and an earnest joy between both of us for storytelling stemmed into this book that, you know, we've now shipped a few hundred issues all over the place. Um, and then now, you know, the, the bitter silver lining is like it is suddenly timely, you know, for the world. So hopefully, you know, in these crazy times, we can at least give a story that contextualizes it a little bit or gives you a way to engage with it. Absolutely. I think like I think it's so cool because like I know Maddie touched upon this um, a few days ago. Uh, we were talking just like right now with like everything with the us being like in quarantined and things like that to be able to like have you know stories like this like to really entertain us and to really take us into well you know like to to kind of like shut off the world that we live in and to like go into another universe where you know like you have someone who's fighting for you and like really trying to protect you in the way that Jason is you know it, it's really compelling you know and I love that you know you found your artist on Twitter, like through the power of social media. You know, like, what do you love most about working with like indie comics? And what do you love most about being able to 
like, you know, be your own boss, or, like, sort of say? Um, well, number one, I think the really cool thing is that technically Brian found me, um, <laughs> which is like, which, which I, I really, I, I respect so much. And he was just finishing college too when he did that. So that, that takes a whole bunch of cojones to make that happen. Um, so major props to him for, you know, kind of really breathing life into the book. But I think it, um, you know, whenever you want to do any creative um, pursuit, you know, that first barrier is doubt. Right, that's the first thing that you have to get through at some point. Is it the the difference between, um, you know, what I really love about comics is that almost anybody who's read more than a couple of comics has had an idea for a comic. Um, it, it's like it's a, it's funny how it's sort of self propagating in that way. Um, so that first bridge is kind of doubt at some point in your career, but once you get over it and you get into this place with everybody, you you really quickly realize it just doesn't matter. If you got something to say, it can you know. Three years ago, I was making I, we were outlining this body horror, you know, it's sci-fi, but it's also a medical procedural, but then it's also Judge Dredd, and like, it's a bunch of these weird subgenres, and it's all things that I think are exciting, that the artist thinks are exciting, that the colorist and the letter think are exciting, so like, you know, we'll just put them all together, and we'll love them, and we'll see what happens, um, and then next thing you know, suddenly the book makes sense to people, and it's helping them interact with their daily life in, in a way they never would have understand. Um, I worked with um, an actor before who said this wonderful quote to me that you know, all storytelling is, is you go out and you find the stories you love. And if you work hard enough, you get to take them, try to perfect them a little bit more, and then put them back out there in the world. And then someday someone else will take it and try to perfect it a little bit more as well. Mm. Um, so, you know, that that's the joy of it, especially in, in indie comics, that it's any subgenre that I'm, I, I sort of identify myself as I love playing with subgenre. That Lonesome's is a collectible monster book. Uh, monster of the Week is a kaiju book. Uh, Prometheus is a pulpy um, sort of revenge thriller. Um, the Crude Knight is a bizarre, very, 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 very bizarre take on King Arthur, but I'm proud to tell of it. Um, and the Axeman, like I said, it's it's sci-fi and it's but it's also like a medical procedural in this weird way. Like it's this whole own can of worms, but there, there's no limitation. You know, the gloves are just totally, totally off. Um, so when you're in indie comics like this, you know, the threshold you need to be, you know, finger quotes successful and, and make something that speaks to people, it, it's so low. It's just, can you just do something that you think moves the ball forward and engages you and your artists? And, and if, if, if it does that, if it moves you and moves your art team, there's probably people out there that are going to like it too. You know, it shows you how big the world is when you do this because, you know, my, my books are these little, little drops of enthusiasm in the bucket and yet people still find them. That's amazing. And I think that's the power of art in general, but specifically comics because we have you know, language, they're easily translated, but the art speaks to everybody as well. I mean, it really is something that creates community. And that community can be at your local comic shop, but that community can also be online um, or in a podcast. Uh, you know, however you find it, it brings people together. And I think especially in the times that we're in today, that is more important than ever before. And I'll help you engage with it in a way you never really realized before. You know, you'll, you'll when you speak to people, you know, this is like the great trick of being an artist is you get to send an issue out to somebody and then they'll be like, Oh man, I really love this page. I, I totally get how he was talking about, you know, like rage being like, what? I was some people because it was time for an action page, but like, dude, does that <laughs> help you like bury some hatchet in your life? Like it is my pleasure. Um, but totally, it, it really is. You know, I go back and forth all the time. Is the internet good or bad for humanity? I will not <laughs> say what I think about that, but when it comes to indie comics, there, there's never been a better time. And it, it's such an exciting and fun place to be. Absolutely. What is the greatest thing that you've learned about yourself in, in publishing comics and in going through the process with Kickstarter, just all of it? Man, that's an awesome question. 
<laughs> wow. Man, that's it's loaded. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm glad I made a coffee before I had a started this thing. <laughs> what did I learn the most about myself? Um, I think what it really makes you interact with because there's is all the different parts of yourself. I think because there's a point where, um, especially if you really challenge yourself to work on a couple of series at the same time, like okay, I got this guy. He's like a you know he's great at his job, but he's brooding and tortured. Great, and then here's his two friends. Okay, now I got to make these other handful of characters. Well, I can't make him good at his job and brooding because the other guy's good at his job and brooding. <laughs> like I really have to like it. Really makes you interact and sort of throttle all the different parts of yourself. Um, you know, it, it's that whole um, Bruce Lee thing that that we're all water, right? And, and a comet, each comic is a different shaped vessel for you to put little parts of yourself into and and sort of see them sort of see them flourish. Um, especially, you know, however small they are, I, I do a Super Sentai book called Super Scouts, which I'm hugely hugely proud of with this wonderful artist that I had this idea. Um, I had a terrible day at work in 2015, so I snuck out of the office for a 10-minute coffee break, wrote down an idea for a comic, said, this is so specific, it needs the perfect artist or it's never going to work. In 2018, a friend all candidly said, oh, Bruno loves Super Sentai stuff. Suddenly, I, I went back to my computer, found that three-year-old idea, um, and he helped me take this little ember from my soul and turn it into this whole giant you know, compelling bonfire that I now get to sit next to and feel warm from and in ways that I never thought I would have enjoyed before. Uh, so it really, it really, it makes you explore yourself and your interests and figure out what excites you. Because at the end of the day, um, all writers are narcissists and we're all just trying to entertain ourselves. <laughs> do you ever have like a hard time when you're creating, like, do you ever get writer's block or do you ever like hit a stump in your like thinking process? And like, how do you get over that hump or that stump, you know? Cause I know there's a lot of people who I see on like Instagram who are artists and writers who like they feel like oh they got a writer's block and they feel this need to apologize to their fans and to their followers like I'm so sorry for not creating content you know and it's disheartening to see like you know that people really get down on themselves for you know at that moment you can't create but like how do you like get over that and like what helps you you know, be able to make that next step and, you know, get over that, like, I can't write anything right now, kind of. Totally. Um, so I think a couple elements of it. First is, this is where sort of my Pennsylvania, you know, tough bootstrap sensibilities are really going to come in. But uh, I, I don't really think there's such a thing as writer's block. I think some days it just flows. You know, last night I was up till 3.30 in the morning working on this graphic novel um, script because it was just happening. The day before that, it was pure murder. Um, but I, I don't know who came up with uh, the cliche of like, you know, that that writer who's like, man, I can't think of this scene. Where do they go for the date? And then he walks away from his computer and he spends a weekend going out and, and going to the park and you know, on a car ride, interacting with people. And finally, he's so frustrated. And a friend says to him, like, hey, man, do you want some pie? Pie. Pie. That's it. And he goes to his computer and he writes like five or six pages or something that like never happens. <laughs> I, I feel like some, like I feel like some writer came up with that just to try to like throw people off the scent of fixing the writer's block. Like that's absolute bullshit, and I think it's hysterical. Um, I don't. I at this point, I think it's important to figure out when you have an idea and when that idea is ready to be executed. Um, so once you have an idea where you're saying, "Oh, it's this Super Scouts," I said, "I want to do Galaxy Quest, but with Power Rangers. I want to do." The, the original cast of Power Rangers, 20 years later, are all washed up, and then they find out it was all real, and they go to space. Yeah. So I, I had that. <laughs> That's uh, amazing. Wait, if you guys want to read it? Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yes. I already have 50, I have two issues of it. If you guys want to see it, I'll send it to you. 
Uh, That's but I love awesome. that book. Oh my God, I would love it. Yes. Yeah, happy to send it your way. Um, but so I had the idea and I knew, I was like, okay, this excites me. And once you know that, that I, once an idea really makes you shudder on that deep level, like, oh shit, this is awesome. That, that's when you know you have something. Um, I don't really start writing until I have, I don't know, anywhere from 20 to 30, either scenes, characters, uh, panels, ideas, moments that I know can really fill the world. Like, let it live with you for a little while. If you're really stuck, you know, maybe you're not quite ready to be writing it yet. But if you're in the middle of it and you're just like, all right, I know they got to steal the spaceship, but I have no idea how they get to the third dimension. Like, you really just got to put your butt in front of the computer, maybe skip a scene and just keep going. Um, because the real joy of screen of, of writing in general, no one tells you about is when the script starts speaking back to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that way, some, some of the best panels in X-Man were not on my original, you know, beat sheet of things I sat down to work on. They were things that once I got into it and it starts, it, it's a self-fulfilling a prophecy all we call your scripts and all your great ideas that once you if you will sit there and put your time and your life and your energy into them if it's if it, i promise you if you sit there long put your butt in the chair put your finger on the keys and just go at some point it will start giving you ideas back um super scouts did it you know pretty much every comic i have at this point at any point in the writing process you will be grinding and at some point you will it, it, it's just it's a natural extension of synapses fire or whatever happens in your brain um and it connects the dots for you so the the simple answer is you have, if you have writer's block, put your butt in the chair, tell yourself you're not getting up till you have some more ideas. If you have to skip that scene and just keep going. Um, but the joy is if you punch through that wall at some point, at some point the scripts kind of do the work for you. Cause it's just, of course it has mm-hmm. to happen. Of course, you know, it, it, all this material is going to kind of come back out of it. Then your characters cool. develop a life of their own in their own ways. Yeah, once you really start living with them, it, it, the choice that they should be making become abundantly clear. You know, someone like Jason, after, after doing an issue or two, Okay, now, now there's this play protocol happening. This is the worst case scenario for him. Okay, here's my outline. I know he needs to go here. But wait a minute. I was just writing like last week when he decided to go, oh, okay. And you're going to go down that other avenue with them. Because it's just, you have to live in it. You can tell when, when, when someone's really lived in the script and lived with these people because the decisions they make are just so obvious that you're, as a reader, you're probably coming up with it as soon as you're reading it. You're like, of course, because I understand this person. Hmm. That's awesome. What would you say is the number one thing that you hope people take away from the Axeman? healthy is such a gift it's mm. such a pleasure we are so so fortunate um this is like a, a funny tie in i last year yeah that was last year i had three surgeries within a year i broke <laughs> i cracked my skull in two places i tore my bicep and then i broke my leg what were you doing i was playing deep <laughs> i was playing division two men's rugby oh um, man so, oh, okay <laughs> yes yes um so it's also like also, some of the other shades of my life, but um, my health is a gift. It, it's such, it's such a, such a pleasure to be able to sit and be healthy and marry. Um, that's why there's a scene, which issue it's in at this point. But Jason reveals to someone that X Men only drinks one thing, and that's to good health, um, mm. because it's the one gift we're all, we're all given, at least to some degree, when we're born. Um, and you should do your best not to squander it. That's that's so true. Because like I know, like I've been sick. Maddie, we both have the same like issues. Like you know, and it really is. It's a gift to be to be healthy and it's a gift to be able to wake up every day and, you know, like open your eyes and be able to have, you know, your five senses. And I think that's really beautiful to, you know, that that's the theme in your work is like have gratitude that, you know, you're not living in this, that there is no Jason technically. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> not yet. 
Give right. Week, you know. Don't jinx us. <laughs> but I mean, I think that <laughs> especially today is such a strong and powerful message. And I think, you know, not to be prescriptive with everybody, but it's a good reason to stay home right now. Everybody stay home. Listening, listen to our podcast. We have a million hours of it just for you. <laughs> But, Seriously. you know, really, at the, read this comic. <laughs> you got lots of stuff to do at home. You can order it online. Get Go back to the Kickstarter. It'll come to you in April, which is super soon. Um, We're quick going to be in quarantine. Time. Yeah, so spend your quarantine time and support amazing creators. Uh, and honestly, you know, stay at home. Be careful. Be safe. Because even if you're young and healthy, there are other people who aren't. And uh, it's your job to protect them because we don't have Jason. <laughs> Yeah, and, you know, maybe that's a good thing in its own way, but also it's it's a scary world out there and we can all deal with it better with comics. Well, thank you so much, Ryan, for joining us. You are amazing. Guys, it's been such a pleasure. I appreciate it. Your comic is so cool. It is on Kickstarter for another five days. So I think when this comes out, what, we have one day left? We'll be in the final stretch of it. All the reward deals will be there. Um, I fully make all my comics before I come to Kickstarter. That's why I get to say it'll be such a quick turnaround time. I have them all printed domestically in the United States. Um, and then also I have digital copies. So digital, I, 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 very, I always pride myself all my issues. I have a thank you page for every backer who helps me um, print my books. So oh, there's nice. probably a 70, yeah, there's probably 72 hour to four day kind of turnaround window from the Kickstarter ending to sending digital books out, but they're always out within a week. Um, oh, so wow. at the very least, you want them to flip through. I think it's like five bucks for a digital copy. Yeah, it's, at this point, it's 24 pages. Um, we're on our way to, we're halfway to our stretch goal, just to add three pages. Spoiler alert, all my stretch goals are always just adding pages. I don't really <laughs> like those marks or any of that crap. I think I, I would just rather give people more comics, uh, yeah. more stuff to read. Um, but yeah, if, if, if you want to look, it's, you know, it's so funny that like my parents saw, I live in Los Angeles. My family's on the East Coast of Pennsylvania. They say, how are you doing? I am thriving. I have a, a to read list. I never thought I'd get through. I have two video right. games to play. I never in my life thought I would get the chance to, to play through. Um, now is such a good time to indulge your hobbies and interests. It is like to really grow as like a, a human and like your interests. It's time. Let's do it, y'all. We all got summer vacation back. Remember right? how bad you wanted summer vacation? <laughs> Just stay home and do nothing. It's great. I feel like That's Phineas amazing. and Ferb, but it's a really bad episode of Phineas and Ferb. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, Ryan, where can we find you online? Um, two best places are facebook.com for any of the people in their forties that still have Facebook out there. Facebook. Uh, you, you can search facebook.com slash plastic sword press. That is my little imprint. Uh, all of my first issues are up there uh, to read for free. Lone Sons, Crude Night, Axe Man, Monster of the Week, Super Scouts even. Anybody wants to check that out, you can check that out. I'm also on Instagram, also plastic sword press. That's awesome. So everybody go check it out. Thank you so much for joining us, Ryan. You are awesome. And thank you, amazing listeners. We are so happy to have you in quarantine with us. Yep, you're stuck here in with us. Um, <laughs> we appreciate you. Please, please uh, check out our other podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and all podcast apps. You can also check out our website, thegrandgeekgathering.com, for articles, videos, and more. Please also remember to rate, review, and subscribe. Let us know if you loved this episode. Let us know what comics you're reading in your quarantine. Uh, we want to hear from you, and it's great to hear from you. You can also stay updated on our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and we stream on Twitch and do Let's Play. Um, so check it out. Our intro is provided by Cranston, and you can get The Axeman uh, number two, volume two, but it's actually issues three through four, right? Um, that is on Kickstarter mm -hmm. right now. 
Uh, and if you uh, back it, I think it's only like $12 to get all of Axe, the Axeman to your door. Physical copy. It's coming in April. That's so soon. Go and back it. There's tons of great tiers. Support this amazing creator and this amazing comic. And support anybody that you uh, can put a little money behind, even if it's just a few dollars. Um, art is so important, especially now. Um, so come and join the gathering. Have a great week. And GGG. <laughs> Thank you so much, Ryan. You were amazing.